Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, September 30th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what we're covering today. Florida starts its hurricane recovery efforts. And January 6th, election deniers in the midterms. Our Friday politics wrap is today's one big thing. Hurricane Ian continues its path of destruction up the East Coast. It's expected to make landfall in South Carolina this afternoon. And in Florida, a massive cleanup and recovery effort has begun. This could be the deadliest hurricane in Florida's history. The numbers of still are still unclear, but we're hearing early reports of what may be substantial loss of life. That was President Joe Biden yesterday at FEMA headquarters in Washington. Yesterday, the White House declared nine Florida counties major disaster areas. That frees up significant federal funding to state and local governments and allows individuals to apply for FEMA assistance. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said yesterday truckloads of food and water will soon be in the affected areas to aid those in need. For those who'd like to help, there are various ways to contribute. We'll put all of that info in our show notes. Hurricane Ian even had its effects in Washington this week, where the January 6th committee postponed their ninth public hearing. But in a closed-door session yesterday, Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, met with the committee for a voluntary interview after months of the committee trying to speak with Thomas about her role in trying to overturn the 2020 election. Axios' managing editor for politics, Margaret Tullive, and the Cook Political Report's Senate and Governor's editor, Jessica Taylor, are here to talk about that and more. Jessica, Margaret, welcome. Thank you, Nyla. Thanks for having me. Margaret, what do we know about this meeting between the January 6th committee and Ginny Thomas? It wasn't public. It was not. But Benny Thomas, who's the chairman of the panel, came out and talked with reporters and said two things that I think are probably the most important. One is that she was at least somewhat cooperative in this closed-door interview. The other is that she is continuing to maintain without evidence that the 2020 election was stolen. And I think that's important. It goes to her state of mind. It goes to where this investigation is going. Jessica, do we know what effect the January 6th Select Committee hearings have had on congressional races, in particular the midterms, how voters have responded to it? Count me in the skeptical camp that at first that it was going to really sway things, you know, in the spring and when they sort of started these, the economy was still sputtering. Inflation was still rising. Gas prices were still high. And then it does feel like this past summer there was a bit of a sea change. Add in the Dobbs decision on abortion, nullifying Roe. And these were getting a lot of viewership. And I think it was a way that Trump was reinserted in the race. He'd already been hovering there and very involved in candidates that he was backing in different things. But again, Midterm elections are supposed to be a referendum on the current president. We have never had a former president that is still this involved. And so I think it is having an impact. But I think we will just have incredibly high turnout across both parties for the midterms. Jessica, what does, from the standpoint of the Cook political report, what is it looking like in terms of control of the Senate and the House overall? What's the prognosis at the moment? Okay, so what we have seen in the House, which my colleague David Wasserman covers, is that, you know, this could have been a pickup uh, for Republicans of over 30 seats when it was looking like a red wave. 
now it could just be more of a red trickle. Of course, they only need a few seats to flip control, and that is very much within the feasibility. So I think if one thing is going to happen, we still believe that the House is going to flip control to Republicans. But if that's a narrow majority, then Kevin McCarthy, the would-be speaker, could have a time on his hands trying to wrangle all of these different factions. So, you know, we see it that it was possible Republicans could pick up 20 seats. We are saying somewhere between 10, 10 and 20 at this point. On the Senate, I see it as a coin flip, really, at this point, which at the beginning of in the spring, for instance, I put it at, at least a 60 to 65 percent chance that Republicans were going to flip control. But we've seen some of these races tighten. We've seen others move off the map. One that we moved a rating on last week was Arizona Senate moved from toss up to lean Democrat after Mitch McConnell's super PAC Senate leadership fund has essentially pulled all of their funding from there. And I'm seeing so many of these races in Senate and in governors in Michigan and Pennsylvania where the nominee is not on television. I mean, we're less than six weeks at this point. That just tells you how cash-strapped they are and how much they have fallen behind Democrats that were able to bank their money, make early ad reservations, and candidates get a lower ad rate than super PACs do. So candidates are the ones that their money goes further. In a moment, we're back with more on This Week in Politics. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Axios's Margaret Tollev and the Cook Political Report's Jessica Taylor are here unpacking this week in politics for us. Margaret, we know that some races are tightening. We had a scoop yesterday about the New Hampshire Senate race. Yeah, New Hampshire is just one case in point, but it's an important one because Senator Maggie Hassan, that's the Democratic incumbent, has been projected in polls, projected in conventional wisdom to be in a very strong position to hang on to that seat. She's facing a Republican challenger, Don Baldock, who was sort of uh, Trumpy and therefore considered more extreme and, and much harder to overtake uh, Hassan. But Hassan's own campaign manager telling donors and supporters in a sort of alarmist email uh, just within the last couple of days that she may be in much more trouble than the polling has suggested, that Bolduc may actually be in a much better position to bring the fight, maybe even to defeat her. Hassan's campaign director, Aaron Jacobs, says... I want to be clear with you about where things stand and correct some of the narratives we've seen about this race that, to be frank, don't reflect the reality we're seeing on the ground here in New Hampshire. And that follows uh, nationwide a fair amount of fretting by Democratic pollsters and candidates right now that the old ghost of bad polling or overly enthusiastic polling or polling that undermeasures non-college voters or polling that undermeasures Trump voters is going to come back to haunt Democrats. But the truth is we won't know until Election Day how far off the polls were. But there is a level of angst that recent polling that suggests Democrats have been in a much stronger position might just reflect modeling errors in the polling and not the sentiment on the ground. Jessica, we've been talking so much about Congress. We have not talked about governor's races, which is also a key part of this vote in November. What are you all seeing there? Republicans have better shots in some of these Western states than they do in the Midwest. Um, sort of, is this the is this the new path? Because they're very bullish on um, New Mexico, where they have a former weatherman, Mark Ronchetti, running there. We still have that one rated leans Democrat. But the most surprising race to me in all of the governor's map is in Oregon. Republicans have not won the governorship in Oregon since um, 1982, 40 years. 
And because there is a three-way race with three women, which makes it interesting too, and you have a well-funded incumbent whose name is Betsy Johnson. She was a Democratic state legislator, left to run as an independent. She's getting, she's out fundraising and getting higher donations from even traditionally Republican donors. I mean, the winner could end up getting 35% of the vote in this race. It's really fascinating. Jessica Taylor is a Senate and Governor's Editor for the Cook Political Report. I want to thank Margaret Tollev, Axios' Managing Editor for Politics. Thanks, you both. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Nyla. Thank you. It's been a long week, especially for all of you folks in Florida. That's why I didn't want to end without sharing my favorite moment from Washington. Lizzo playing a crystal flute gifted to James Madison at the Library of Congress on Monday. It turns out it's one of 1,700 flutes at the library, the world's largest collection. The priceless flute was saved by Dolly Madison from the White House during the War of 1812. That's it for this week. Axios Today is produced by Fonda Wangi and Lydia McMullen-Laird. Our sound engineers are Alex Sugiyara and Ben O'Brien. Alexandra Boti is our supervising producer. Sarah Kailani Gu is Axios' editor-in-chief. And special thanks, as always, to Axios co-founder Mike Allen. I'm Nyla Boudou. Stay safe this weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday. In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt is a podcast from Lemonada Media that operates under the premise that the most comforting thing for all of us is knowing what and what not to worry about. Host Andy Slavitt, former White House senior advisor for COVID response, is here to help you make sense of tough issues from COVID to the crisis in Ukraine to climate change and beyond. Andy breaks down the most complex news stories in a way that's easy to understand. In the Bubble has new episodes out Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.